little make-believe time machine, and we're going to go back in time, about 10 days. So if you're ready over there, Sarah, Lauren, we're going to go in a time machine in just a moment. We're going to go back in time about 10 days after we read Acts chapter 11, and then we'll get back into Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now, I'm going to read so much of the Bible this morning. I'm going to read the first part of chapter 11, and then we're going to go back and read eventually all of chapter 10. And so you're going to need a very large attention span this morning. So prepare yourselves. And to help us do that, here's what I want to do. Before we do anything else, I want to pray for our time together and and focus our prayer by reading Acts chapter 10, verse 33. This really struck me as I was preparing for this morning. In Acts chapter 10, verse 33, a guy named Cornelius, whom we'll meet in in just a moment, he said this to, to the Apostle Peter when he had a bunch of people gathered at his home. In verse 33, Cornelius said to Peter, Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep with the spirit of this passage we'll read today, and I'm going to interrupt our usual routines. We're going to see God do that quite a bit this morning. But what I want to do is I want to lead us in a, in a silent prayer. Just a a moment of silence. And during that silence, what I want us to do is to ask God to help us today listen as those who are aware of the fact that we are all gathered here in His presence. Not the presence of a man like me or any of the other people who stand up here, but we're here in the presence of God to hear all that He has commanded. Let's pray for just a moment. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Look, I I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, which is by no means Lord, anyway. By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. Now this happened three times, and all was drawn up into heaven again. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Now, they won't say anything to you, but these six brothers, they also accompanied me. And we all entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Now send to Joppa 
and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now if then God gave them the same gift He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. Then they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And about ten days before Peter's church brought him up on charges for eating dinner with someone of another race, this guy named Cornelius had a vision that started this whole thing. Let's go back in time. Acts chapter 10. Verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what, 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 what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Let's pray. And Father, help us to see what you were intending to teach all of the people in this story so long ago and, and help us to make the connection between their time and ours, between their need and ours. Help us to see where we are like them so that this word that we read today will seem immediately relevant to us as it truly is. Help us to be changed by it as you intend. And everybody said. Before we're finished today, we're going to read, like I said, the rest of Acts chapter 10. And as we do, we're going to see God interrupt two prayers and one sermon. And the question we have to ask ourselves is why? Why does God interrupt Cornelius' prayer here? Why does He interrupt Peter's prayer? Why does He interrupt Peter's sermon? What is he trying to teach all of the people involved here, and what is he trying to teach us? Well, the first thing that I want to mention, I think there are two big things God's trying to teach us today, and the first thing that I'm going to mention is, is not one of them, but it's important, so I'm going to mention it anyway. Look with me at verse 4. The angel's opening remarks to Cornelius give us some insight into some things about God that we all need to remember. He looks at Cornelius and says, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And that's the first thing that I want to mention. There are always people in the world like Cornelius. Deeply religious. Look at verse 2. He was devout. He feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the poor. There are always people in the world who are deeply religious or spiritual is probably how they would describe it. That's how I described myself when I was 19 years old before I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're deeply religious or spiritual, extremely generous, giving lots to charitable causes of their choice. They're morally upright and decent in many ways, but they don't yet know or follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Some of you here this morning are perhaps like this. You identify with Cornelius. What would God want you to learn? What would God want you to know? Well, I think verse 4 gives us a clue. The angel comes and says to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. It's entirely possible. This is what I want us to get. All of us, really. It's entirely possible that if you're here and you're, you're like this man, Cornelius, and yet you, you've never come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, it's entirely possible that your life has ascended before God as a memorial. It's entirely possible that God has taken special notice of your life. That He sees your gifts to the poor. And He commends that giving. If you're religious and you pray that perhaps He hears those prayers and He's made special note of them. You've given things to lots of people. You've, you've really cared for people who are less fortunate than you are. You're, you're morally decent and upright. You do the best you can according to what you believe is right. God wants you to know that He perhaps has taken special notice of your life the way He has Cornelius here. And I think as Christians we need to remember that as well. We're very quick to make statements, blanket statements about how God sees or does not see, hears or does not hear, relates to or remains apart from those who don't believe in Jesus. Let Cornelius be an example to those of us who are Christians. But that's not all God would want you to know this morning if you haven't yet come to Jesus Christ. There's something else He would definitely want you to know from the angel's conversation with Cornelius. And this next thing I want to mention is the first big thing that I think God wants all of us to see from today's passage. God looks at the rest of this conversation here, and starting in verse 5, you'll notice that the angel has more to say to Cornelius. He could have come and said, Cornelius, I just want you to know we're, we're making the usual rounds. God's sending out angels. This is my stop. You're on my route. I just wanted to give you the thumbs up. Everything looks good. You're praying. You're doing good things for poor people. That's all God requires. You're good. It's like when I had a, a membership interview with Sean and Tiffany yesterday. I'm like, this is easy. Give me people like this to interview. This is simple. And I'm out. 30 minutes. But this is, this is not what the angel's doing, right? He has more to say. Verse 5. Look at verse 5. And now, Cornelius, oh good man, now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Why? Why? Well, chapter 11, verses 13 and 14 help us, right? They fill in some of the details. Chapter 11, verse 14 tells us here that As Peter comes, the angel says to Cornelius, He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. What else would God want you to know? Let's say you're one of these people like Cornelius, but you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ. What you need to know is that you still need to be saved. This is God's assessment of Cornelius. This is God's assessment of you. You need to be saved. And you could translate that word saved as rescued. It's the same thing. You don't have to make it a religious word. You need to be rescued from what? From a very real and present spiritual danger. As good as you may be on the surface, you may be facing a very real spiritual danger. The very danger that we mentioned in one of the readings earlier. 
That like the rest in Ephesians 2, we were children of wrath. John chapter 3. At the end of John chapter 3, in verse 35 and 36, John the Baptist tells people, look, those who don't believe in Jesus, if anyone does not believe in the Son of God, then the wrath of God remains on him. Cornelius was in the very real danger of possibly appearing one day before God as his judge without having appeared before God in this life as his Savior. And the wrath of God, which comes against all sin, would have been poured out on Cornelius' head. As good as he was, as morally decent, as, as upright, as devout, as sincere, as generous, he would have busted hell wide open with all of his generosity. And so will you. So will you if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's offensive to so many of you. But I've been, remember we prayed, I'm here to tell you what the Lord has commanded me to tell you. And that's why I tell you this. Not to make friends, but to be faithful to the Lord and eternally helpful to you. It's the first big thing God wants all of us to learn is that even people like Cornelius need to be saved. Let's be done with the idea of the good people out there somewhere who know God enough that even though they've never heard about and been given a chance to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll still make it. I know that's a popular theory in a lot of missiological circles and in seminaries and all that sort of thing. I understand that's a very popular idea. I've read the books. I've heard the messages. It's not biblical. People need Jesus. All people need Jesus. The only name given to, he- to men under heaven and earth by which we must be saved is Jesus. Go, go and tell people about Jesus. And don't, don't assume or wait for them to be saved through any other means or by any other name. Cornelius needed to be saved and so do all of us. The second thing that, I, that God wants us, the second big thing God wants us all to learn is not something I'm going to tell you right now in this moment. We're going to come across it honestly as we read the rest of chapter 10, beginning here in verse 5. And now, Cornelius, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with another man named Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And when the angel who spoke to Cornelius had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now you know, some of you, the rest of the story, Cornelius and his Gentile friends are are about to undergo a very miraculous and wonderful conversion to faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will come down upon them in power. They will be observed to be speaking in other tongues and languages. A a clear indication, if we understand it based on Acts chapter 2, that God has given to them supernaturally the ability to speak to peoples bought by Jesus at the blood or at the cross by His blood, but not yet in the church. And they're going to go out and speak the gospel to these people in languages they've never studied, but they've been supernaturally given. And God is going to gather unto Himself the church that Jesus died and paid for at Calvary. And even these Gentiles, once thought of as unclean, they're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, just like the first Jewish followers of Jesus Christ. And now, we're coming along in the story, and something very interesting happens in verse 5. Verse 5 is the first indication we get that the main point to this entire story is not the conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles. It's not the fact that through the conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles, Jesus advances the the mission of Christ down the field a little bit further. 
We've gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria in chapter 8, and now we're going to the ends of the earth. That's not the main emphasis of the story. Because you you see, Gentiles had already begun to be saved. You remember Philip in chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. We've already broken that barrier. Something else is the main point of this story. And verse 5 is the first clue to that because the angel speaks to Cornelius and says, and now send men to Joppa and bring back one Simon. Why, Why bring Peter back to Caesarea? If it's just about the conversion of these Gentiles and these religious people who don't really know Jesus Christ, and if that's the main point of the story then why, why send these people from Caesarea 30 miles down the coast to Joppa to get Peter, tell him to pack up his things and bring him all the way back? Why? Why Why not just send everybody down to Joppa and have Peter preach the Gospel there? Is the Holy Spirit not able to fall in Joppa? Of course He is. What's God after? The main point of this story is that God wants to change the Christian. God wants to change us. God wants to change Peter's heart. And in order to do it, He must move Peter from Joppa and take him into the home of a Gentile whom he despises. The miracle God seeks in this story cannot happen in Joppa. The conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles could happen there. The conversion of Peter could not. God had to move Peter. And guess what? God has to move some of us. Let's see what God does to move Peter and change his heart. In verse 9, the next day, as these three men were on their way, on their journey, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That is about noon. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat, which is what happens at lunchtime, right? You, you get hungry and you want something to eat. And Peter's no different. He wants something to eat, but while they were preparing it downstairs, he fell into a trance. And here it is, God's about to interrupt Peter's prayer. And his nap, which sometimes happens while you're praying. Has that ever happened to you? Start praying, you get real spiritual and you just fall into a, let's just call it a trance. How about that? Wake up. Many times Peter's sleeping and an angel has to wake him up. Have you ever read, have you noticed this about Peter? Well, well, as we keep reading Acts, you'll see it again. It's not the only time. Peter is the most interrupted, most woken up person in the Bible. (laughs) Anyway, here, here we are in verse 11. Something happens while Peter is in his trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Now what will Peter do? 
Verse 19, And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And here you see the connection between the, vis- the visitation or, or the vision and what God is after in the heart of Peter. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Rise, Peter, and go toward that which you consider to be unclean. And now in the, in the vision, the, the Spirit speaks after and says, Now rise, Peter, and go with these men. Go with what you consider to be unclean. Peter will eventually get it, as we'll see. Let's keep reading. Verse 21, Peter went out, he went down rather to the men, and he said, I am the one that you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Notice, it's interesting what, what God chooses to tell us versus what He chooses not to tell us when He speaks to us through the Spirit. It, it, why didn't He just tell Peter why those men were there? Well, there are some things that God reserves for human interaction. You might ask the same question. Why didn't He just have the angel preach the Gospel to Cornelius? Well, He's after something in Peter's heart, and He's determined to carry the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ through human messengers, His witnesses of flesh and blood. Don't wait for an angel to do your job. That's just not how God operates. Alright, so Peter is here in verse 21. He asks why they came, and in verse 22 they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to say... Look at how many things these guys used to butter up Peter. Now, I know you wouldn't just come if I told you Cornelius, a Gentile, asked for you to come, but notice the description here. Cornelius, a centurion, got a lot of people, a lot of soldiers at at his side. An upright and God-fearing man is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. He was directed by a holy angel. Peter, you got to come. You got to (laughs) come, right? And we walked about half a day. I mean, you got to come. And we brought a soldier with us just in case you were going to refuse. So here it is. He's respected by all. He was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in to be his guests. And the next day, this is day three now, the next day he rose and went with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Because of course Peter is going into an unfamiliar setting with Gentiles. There are all, he's already outnumbered. They sent three guys. One of those guys is a soldier. Peter is badly outnumbered. So we know from chapter 11, he rounds up six of his buddies. And he says, all right, now let's all go to this Cornelius guy. And we've got him seven to four, right? Got him outnumbered. Well, Peter's about to be surprised again. Let's, Let's keep reading here. Peter goes with them in verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And he had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up very quickly and said, please stand up. I too am am only a man. I'm, I'm a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found, everybody say, many persons. Many persons gathered. Peter is once again not allowed to stack the deck in his favor. Because God is after something. He finds many persons gathered here. And it probably changed his approach. Verse 28, and so he said to them, now, now you guys know it's against my law for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another race or another nation, but God has shown me. See, Peter got it. It wasn't about animals. It wasn't about birds, reptiles. 
God has shown me. He, he, he rightly interprets the vision by this time. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without hesitation or without objection. He still doesn't know though. I asked then, why did you send for me? You know what I love about this too is, let me just say a quick word about all of our intentionality. I'm I'm a big fan of being intentional and having us sit down and prayerfully consider strategies to take the gospel into the world. I'm I'm a big fan of that, but let's not, let's not overcook that thing, right? God is well able to save people without our help and our intentionality. Are you, are you following this story with me? He's moving heaven and earth to relocate people, to get people where they need to be. God, God knows how to, he, he knows what he's doing. He knows, don't trade in all your intentionality, but trade in a little piece of it for just some good old availability. Just be available to the Lord so that when He speaks, you're free to move. Have some margin in your schedule. Christy Schmidt, actually, one of our students is teaching me this. Have some margin in your schedule. So that when the Lord speaks, you're free to follow and free to move. Trade in some of your intentionality. Not all of it, but some of it for some good old-fashioned availability. Verse 29, Cornelius says, Well, Peter, you're, you're trying to figure out why we sent for you. Look, it wasn't my idea. Four days ago, right about this hour, I was praying in my house at at three in the afternoon. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and he said, Cornelius. I mean, he knew my name. I'd never seen him before. His clothes were shining. I'm a soldier. I command officers. This thing scared me out of my pants. You seen that show, uh, Touched by an Angel? Well, welcome to the, I don't know what episode this is in the Bible of Scared by an Angel, but, but you see this very often. Man, I was just praying, just like you, Peter. It wasn't my idea. I didn't send for you. This guy said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. And then I was probably a little less scared because it sounded good. And then he said, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He knew your name too, Peter. Everyone, meet the intentional God. Meet the intentional Jesus Christ, who's got plans on how to move people and save people and And just remember that as you're developing all of your strategies and thinking that the weight of this mission rests upon you and your communities. Upon your efforts, upon your ability to speak eloquently. That's just not how it works. That's why I can go to sleep at night. Even when I'm unprepared, so to speak. Robert, have you ever preached a message that you were fully prepared to preach? No, it doesn't happen. We're like artists who always put unfinished works on display. But we're not here to display us. That's the beautiful thing. The finished work we talk about is, is finished. Christ's work is, un, is, is not unfinished, it's finished. So it's okay for us to present an unfinished work about His finished work. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying, preachers? Preachers, look at me. It's okay. Let's follow. I forget where I am here. Sometimes that happens. The Holy Spirit interrupts things to bring a message that He has planned to give. Now, Verse 33, he knows Peter's name, and, and, and Cornelius says, so look, I just figured I better do what this shining guy is telling me to do. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been, been commanded by the Lord. And if you, if you ever have the opportunity to preach, or, and some of you are thinking, when I say preach, you're thinking about what I'm doing right now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about 
very conversationally telling people about Jesus, which is what all of you do. If you have the opportunity to preach to this kind of a crowd, it's the easiest preaching you've ever done, isn't it? Because you realize God has already moved heaven and earth to create this moment. He's prepared the other end. And I no longer have to be concerned about making results happen. Which is, by the way, how we should be thinking in every encounter like this where we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but here it's, it's obvious to us. And, and, you know, for people like me, it, it removes for me the burden to come up with a creative way of presenting the gospel to you. I'm not going to do that this morning. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to read Peter's presentation of the gospel. And I'm going to trust in the power of God's words to work on the hearts of those purchased by Jesus' blood at the cross, hearts that he will now open to receive this message about his son. Peter opens his mouth in verse 34 and he said, Truly I understand. Here's the main point. The main point of this entire story. This is what God is after, not only in Peter's heart, but in ours. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality or favoritism. You could say that God does not discriminate. That's the same thing here. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Now we understand in context that does not mean anyone who is morally decent and upright or spiritually devout like Cornelius because such people still need to be saved. But this means, and here's the main point, God does not discriminate on the basis of race when it comes to His offer of forgiveness in the Gospel. And Jesus, I want everybody to listen very carefully, and Jesus will not allow the prejudice of Christians to determine the makeup of His church. I'm going to say that all again. God does not discriminate on the basis of race when it comes to His free offer of forgiveness in the Gospel. And Jesus will never allow the prejudice of His Christians to determine the makeup of His church. And we've been trying really hard to do just that for hundreds of years. And He will not leave us alone. He will move heaven and earth once again. He is doing it to fix that in our hearts. If God were to let down a sheet from heaven with your name on it, who would be in there? Who would be in it? Into whose home would He have to bring you? Around whom does your personal space all of a sudden just exponentially increase? That, well, let me, just for the sake of fair disclosure, I'll, I'll tell you two, two such people for me. Uh, number one, young black men between the, the early, or I should say the late teen age, or the, you know, late teenagers to, to maybe young, young 30s like myself. Young black men in that age range who look like on the surface they spend a great deal of time on the streets and on the corners. Some of you are so perplexed because I'm black. Some of you are listening to me and you you don't have the benefit of seeing me and you didn't even know that until this point. (laughs) But it's true. Ask the people who are laughing here this morning. They intimidate me. They absolutely intimidate me. I go to Delmont. I've been going there for seven years through a door, you know, really opened up by God through my wife. My, my, now my wife went there, started a learning center. 
just two miles up the road in, in the Delmont Plaza apartments, and we work with the youth there. But the, the older men who have been at some point incarcerated and who come back and hang out with the mothers or, or hang on the, on the corners, they, they intimidate me. They really do. Scared to talk to them. Who would not have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from you because they're on the sheet with your name on it? White people who look like they're in motorcycle gangs or, or quite frankly, I'll just be, and this may describe many of you in here today, I don't know, some of you, who look like they drive pickup trucks or who do drive pickup trucks with Confederate flags on it. I understand that's a, that's a heritage thing for so many of you, but it intimidates the daylight out of me. I'm not coming to you. One of y'all will have to reach those people, right? They're, they're in my sheet. I mean, let down from heaven, and this is what I see, pickup trucks, the General Lee. I see uh, from the Dukes of Hazard. I, I mean, they're just on my sheet. That thing falls quickly from heaven because it's got cars and pickup trucks on it. <laughs> With the added weight of bumper stickers that say things I don't want to read. I mean, anybody ever seen someone like that in Richmond, Virginia? Am I in the right city? Goodness, I mean, who's, but who's in your sheet, really? Who's in your sheet? Uh, there's a very good chance that if God remains the God that He is, He's, he's going to do something in your heart to help you realize that you don't need to fear anyone but the Lord. And I can stand here before you this morning to say, I'm not there, and neither are you, but that's okay because we have a God who works on our hearts through His Word and through His Spirit. Let's keep reading what Peter tells this gathering of Cornelius' friends and relatives. In verse 35, every, every nation, men from every nation who fear him and do what is right, is, they are acceptable to God. Verse 36, as for the word, watch the simple gospel here. This is all you need. It's powerful. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from, from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Still true today. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the Word. Let me say a quick word about those of us as, as believers and Christians who are always working so hard to try to find a creative way to get the Holy Spirit to fall in our gatherings. To get the Holy Spirit to show up in power. Preach Jesus Christ. 
faithfully preach Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins that comes through His name to those who are in need of that forgiveness and which Jesus paid for at the cross. And watch what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be preoccupied with Him because He's preoccupied with the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach, preach Jesus, and the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to do. Verse 45, And when the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jews, when, when they who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, they saw this and they, they couldn't believe it. In verse 46, they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, which I, I, I hope by now you understand is not the main point of the story. I don't have to clarify all of that. It's a great thing, but you understand it's not the main point of the story. If you read the Bible well and keep it in context, it's, it's a lot easier to discern what things we ought to major on and what things we ought to minor on. And even your minors are important, right? You, you, some of you are college students. Your minors are important. So I'm not saying it's unimportant that the Holy Spirit falls, that people spoke in tongues, that God used these gifts of the Spirit to send the gospel throughout the world. I'm not... I'm not minimizing the importance of those things. I'm just pointing out that it's not the main emphasis of the passage. And therefore, God does not want us to major on it in our preaching or in our living. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, now can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and then they asked him to remain for some days. What a big miracle here. Peter actually does this. He stays with Gentiles for a few days. And we've read chapter 11. What does God want us to learn this morning as we gather in His presence around His Word and wait upon His Spirit to change our hearts? God wants us to know, let me speak first of all to those who may not be Christians yet, but you're here this morning. It's not good enough to be a morally decent and upright person who is perhaps maybe spiritual, religious, generous to poor people. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that alone does not do it. We still need to be saved. And Jesus is the only one through whom we can be saved. And if you're a believer, if you already have by God's grace believed in Jesus Christ, you're, you're, you're like me at this point. You, the main point of this story is aimed at our hearts. God does not discriminate on the basis of race when it comes to His offer of forgiveness in the Gospel. And Jesus will never allow His Christians to, to bring their prejudice, to determine the makeup of His church by their prejudice. He's still trying to teach us this today. May we all, here in the presence of God, listening to His Word, may we deeply understand and embrace these truths. May it change us. May our personal space decrease a little bit around those we have thought of as unclean, those in our sheet. May the Lord bless you with His Word and with His Spirit this morning. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we're all in need of this. Whether we are Christians today or not, we're all in need of this message from the Bible. Help us to learn the lessons you taught Cornelius, help us to learn the lessons you taught Peter. I really need your help on this, Lord. I, I, 
I've tried to change myself in, in this, but, but it's not working. So we depend upon your Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who falls here in chapter 10. And we depend upon the word that we have heard this morning, particularly of Jesus Christ. Graciously grant repentance and forgiveness of sins to all those in need of it this morning, Father. And um, that just about covers everybody, doesn't it? Amen. Just a moment here. Some questions will come up. Some reflection questions. Take, take some time to look at one or two of those and to think about it and, and to allow God to continue the work in your heart that was begun when you came in this morning.